we also are seeing that he has just as great inner weakness. There is a phenomenon that occurs in certain parts of the country known as a sinkhole. I grew up in a part of the country that had sinkholes. They occur when the ground underneath the surface gives way and everything collapses, creating a huge hole in the ground. Sinkholes can swallow cars, entire buildings, or whatever is above the ground where the hole occurs. Sinkholes occur, scientists say, when underground streams drain away during seasons of extreme drought, causing the ground at the surface to lose its underlying support. This sinkhole phenomenon can happen in our lives when our public life that people see caves in because we lack a powerful and productive private life. That's true of Samson. And it's something that we need to be alert to as well. In fact, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Look at verses 13 and 14. The Gospel of John chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. So before we get into Judges chapter 15, you could keep your finger there, I should have said. And I want you to go over to the Gospel of John because listen to what Jesus says to the woman at the well here that is so pertinent to preventing a sinkhole from happening in our life. And remember, God wants us to concentrate and focus on our private life with Him. If our private life with God is what it should be, our public life will take care of itself. So Jesus said in John 4, verses 13 and 14... Jesus replied as they were sitting by this well, everyone who drinks some of this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And Jesus is basically saying that when when a person connects with God through Christ, we have the resource of Jesus Christ himself, his springs, his nourishment, his spirit that is constantly at flow in our lives. And if we will simply keep abiding in him and keep walking with him and stay connected to him and like the vine branches thing that, that we will seek our nourishment there, that, that we will always have in a sense, a vibrant, productive, fruitful, private life, which then will manifest itself publicly. I won't need to worry about my public reputation, my public persona, you know, all of that. If I just focus on my personal relationship with the Lord, which is the one thing in my life that I can control, the public will take care of itself. And then if you'll just... Hop over real quick to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I used this passage in one of my small churches on Sunday, but it applies tonight to the message as well. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's letter to a co-worker. And basically Paul here in this chapter is just reminding Timothy, Timothy, if you take care of your private life, if you concentrate on you then you'll have a ministry. You'll have a great ministry. You'll have a productive and fruitful ministry if you just concentrate on you. So 
I don't want to study the whole passage. Obviously, we're studying Judges chapter 15, and we haven't even got there yet. But look at 1 Timothy 4, 6. He reminds Timothy that part of this private, productive life is that I've got to get to a point where I can nourish myself. He says, by pointing out the things that I've already talked about in the first five verses of chapter 4, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, having nourished yourself on the words of faith and of the good teaching that you followed. You see, it's important for all of us to learn how to nourish ourselves. It's great that we get nourished from other Bible teachers and listen to messages on the radio and buy books and all of that, a lot of great resources, but we will never get all that we could out of life if we do not, as a Christian, learn to nourish ourselves and feed ourselves. And then notice beyond that, verse 7, he also tells Timothy, learn to train yourself for godliness. Don't always rely on someone else. Train yourself for godliness. And again, this is not about this tonight, but I always encourage Christians, it's not in trying, it's in training. And the word train there in 1 Timothy 4, 7 is is where we get our English word gymnasium from. And God wants us to develop growth habits or personal disciplines within our lives. And if we learn to nourish ourselves and train ourselves, then notice verse 12, we can become in the body of Christ an example for other believers to follow. With all of that said, verse 14, he tells Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift you have. And then notice verse 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, literally eat Sleep, breathe these things so that everyone will see your progress. There's a key word. I always encourage Christians. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about just getting one step further today than yesterday, this week than last week, this month than last month, this year than last year with God. And as we learn to nourish ourselves and train ourselves and build a strong productive private life the public life of of us will take care of itself because notice what he says in verse 16 be conscientious about how you live and what you teach persevere in this because by doing so you will save both yourself and those who listen to you timothy if you take care of yourself then you'll take care of the ones who are entrusted into your care as well Focus on that, Timothy. And you see, that's what was missing in Samson's life. He had this, he he was this guy who had tremendous physical strength, but he had internal weakness. God would rather it be the other way around if we had to choose. It's okay to have physical strength, but it would be better to have an inner spiritual strength that can handle what comes into our life. And so, That's one of the things that was missing from Samson. So back to then to Judges chapter 15. Let's pick up the story. And if you forgot where we left off last week, you remember that Samson's first marriage was just a disaster. His wife eventually got him to tell the secret to the riddle. She tells the Philistines. They win the bet. Samson gets angry. He takes off. And then notice something very important at the very end of chapter 14 before we dive into chapter 15 tonight that really sets up chapter 15. Because Samson took off and nobody knew where he was and was he ever coming back or whatever, the father of the bride ends up giving Samson's bride to his best man. 
Oh yeah, you know what's coming, right? So we pick it up in Judges chapter 15. And on one lovely day in May, there's a knock at the door. There stands Samson, a young goat under his arm in lieu of flowers, a twinkle in his eye, and he's in the mood for love. Samson doesn't bear a grudge forever, and now he tells his wife's father it's time to make up in the bedroom. Now, note... Samson's been gone for months. The reason we know that is because the beginning of chapter 15 tells us this was during the wheat harvest. So he gets mad. He takes off. He comes back. And here's one of the first things that I was hit with in this passage. Samson never sought to work through the issues with his wife, with her family. with the. He just thought he was going to be able to pick things up back as if nothing ever happened. Folks, that's not the way to live life. But that is a demonstration that I might think that I've got everything together, but that is a sign of internal weakness that I need to allow God to help me to overcome. There's a lot of folks that deal with life that way. They may blow up your life and then they want to come back into your life a couple months later and just act like nothing's ever happened. Let's just pick it up where it left off. We will never learn to work through things like that. That's just, I'm going to deny it or pretend like it didn't happen. And that's exactly what Samson did here. That's not the way God wants us to handle conflict. That's not the way God wants us to handle issues. That doesn't help us learn to work through anything. That just sort of says, here's what I'm doing. And now I'm going to pick up as if nothing ever happened. That's one of the first things we see here. Now, doubtless, his father-in-law felt a migraine coming on. No, Samson couldn't go to bed with his daughter. Even the Philistines have standards. He had married off his daughter to Samson's best man. Samson had seemed so angry, you know, that he just didn't think Samson would ever come back. And now, I love this. I, I love the character of these folks. So, notice the father says in verse 2... Her younger sister's more attractive than she is. Take her instead. Wow. Nice. Samson's furious. And his departure promised that it wasn't going to be quiet that night in Timnah for long. And beginning in verse 4, here's Samson's reaction. Samson went and captured 300 jackals and got some torches. He tied the jackals in pairs by their tails and then tied a torch to each pair. He lit the torches and set the jackals loose in the Philistine standing grain. He burned up the grain heaps and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. I want you to notice a very significant omission here. Throughout our study of Samson and the other judges... You knew that when God was in something, the Bible would say that the Spirit of God empowered them to do what they were doing. Do you note here that the Bible never says that the Spirit of God empowered him as at other times? What Samson did here, beginning in verse 4, he did alone, he did in anger, and it was cruel. Not going to defend what Samson did here. It was cruel. And we all know, too, that Samson had an anger problem. Like a lot of folks today, when he got angry, he didn't know how to channel that anger. 
He never learned how to deal with anger and channel it in a proper, healthy way. But usually when Samson would blow up, it would end up being very self-destructive and would destroy other people's lives around him. The Bible says there's times where in life we're going to get angry and we're going to be angry. And there's even times where it's justifiable anger. But as a follower of Christ, we've got to learn proper ways to let that anger out and to channel it in productive ways rather than destructive ways. I'm just going to give you an example that I use with folks a lot. And then I want to move on. Years ago, there was a mom who was justifiably very angry that her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. There were a lot of ways that she could have dealt with her anger. But she chose with other ladies to start Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Now, that may seem stupid, but that to me is a great illustration of somebody who learns to channel their anger in a productive way rather than allowing that anger to destroy them and to destroy others. Samson had a hard time with that. And just like we're finding out in our own country, when you want to get people's attention, affect their economy. You'll notice in chapter 5 that Samson's act did put a big dent in the Philistines' economy because it says he burned up the grain heaps and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Folks, they lost a lot with Samson's prank. And Samson's prank with this foxfire moved the Philistines, notice then, to burn up his wife and father who were apparently marooned in their home. The Philistines fought fire with fire. In verse 6, they asked, who did this? They were told, Samson. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father. Can you see what's beginning to happen here? An extreme case, but it, it plays out sometimes in our lives and in those around us. First, you have a situation here, and then someone over here does something to escalate it, and then someone comes back and escalates it a little bit more, and it just keeps going up and up and getting worse and worse. That's exactly what's happening here between Samson and the Philistines. A question that God, I believe, wanted me to ask myself when I read and studied this was, in my relationships in life, am I learning and and continually increasing tension or decreasing tension in my relationships? Because I think one of the manifestations of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is learning to be able to decrease tension and and to try to be a a peacemaker rather than a, a troublemaker who or one who's always coming into a situation and actually making it worse and 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 throwing oil on the fire and escalating and keeping going back and forth i think that's why proverbs 15 1 tells us a gentle response can turn away anger it's why jesus on the night that he was betrayed and this crowd of people came out to arrest him and Peter got out a sword and whacked off this guy's ear and in the group that was getting ready to arrest Jesus and oh by the way Jesus just picked up his ear and slapped it back on the side of his head 
Did that not tell this group that maybe he was the son of God? I don't know too many people that can just slap an ear back on after it's been cut off. But, oh, never mind that. And then Jesus turns to Peter and said, Peter, put your sword away. Because those who live by the sword will what? Die by the sword. There's a principle there. That's what was happening here with Samson and the Philistines. They were living by the sword and they were both going to die by the sword. That's why Paul in Romans says, As much as it depends upon us, live peaceably with all people. And if there does come those instances in our life where we are heard and all of that, then he says, give place to God's wrath. And, and, and give them and give the herd and give the situation over to God. What he's simply saying is, trust God, have enough faith in God that he will deal with them. And he will deal with them in the way they should be dealt with, in the time they should they be dealt with, and to the degree they should be dealt with, and that I should not live my life trying to seek vengeance or revenge against them. Let God take care. And, and the cool thing about the Bible and about our God is God says, do you think I'm going to let what they did to you go by and not deal with it? I'll deal with it. It, it really comes down to our faith and trust in God. Because you and I won't give a situation or a person or something over to God if we really don't believe that he can handle it or that he's going to handle it better than we can handle it. So that's why many times when we do go through life and get hurt, we take matters into our own hands, which only, like Samson and the Philistines, ends up making it even worse than it was at the very beginning. God says there are times in our life where we have a right to be angry with the way people have dealt with us. But give it over and give them over to God and let God deal with them. Because he says to his own people in Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the way God wants his people to live. That's why, keep your finger there in Judges 15. Here's another verse. Go over to the book of Galatians real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Galatians 5.15, Paul says, However, if you in Galatia continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. Pretty important principle. You, you all can keep fighting amongst each other and keep snipping at each other and keep biting each other. And you're eventually just going to consume each other. Nobody's going to win. Nobody ever does win in that situation. And that's exactly what was happening here in the book of Judges chapter 15. Tragedy after tragedy. Because they were fighting fire with fire. If you go back to the book of Judges for just a moment. That's why I think another principle here that God wants us to consider is to choose our battles in life carefully. As I've taught in the mind before, listen, there are times where God wants us to fight a battle. Like David fighting the giant Goliath. And in those times that we know God is leading us to fight that battle in our lives, God will be with us. In fact, we don't have to fear. We don't, Because the battle is the Lord's, like David said. I don't have to worry about taking this giant down. God's going to take him down because this is a battle that God wanted me to fight. 
But there are times in the Bible, there are times in my life where I have gotten involved in a battle that God did not lead me to get involved with. And God will not be in that battle. God will not support me in that battle. And I will find that I will experience a lot of pain by getting involved in a battle that God said shouldn't have got involved in that battle. So that's why I say when we talk about things like that, choose your battles carefully. There are times in our life where we need to fight a battle. But make sure before you step into that battle and onto that battlefield that God is with you. If so, you and I have nothing to fear. God will walk with us every step of the way. And whatever giant we are facing, God will bring it down. Choose your battles carefully. Back to Judges 15, verses 7 and 8, tell us that things just keep escalating. Samson then says to them, because you did this, I will get revenge against you before I quit fighting. He struck them down and defeated them. And then he went down and lived for a time in the cave in the cliff of Edom. Now the Bible never really gives us any background as to why all of a sudden Samson went to the cave. Did God lead him to do this? Was, you know, was he obeying God? I don't know, but I, but I do know this. I, I, I do see, after Samson comes out of that cave, a little bit different Samson than the Samson who went into the cave. And so one of the things I was struck with as I studied this was simply whether Samson chose to get away by himself or whether it was because of the leading of God, here was an opportunity for Samson to get a different perspective. It's like us. Many times we are involved in life up to our eyeballs. We are in the midst of our battles and, and the fights that we are involved in. And we, we just can't get any perspective. And I do believe that there are key times during life, especially when life can get heavy and trying where it's very wise for us to take a step back to get away with God to get to whatever our cave in Edom looks like and to spend some time with God and make sure that we're handling that situation the way God would want us to handle it because it's so easy in the midst of battle to lose perspective to, to, to start thinking in a wrong way or not thinking clearly. And so for whatever reason, Samson gets away to the cave. And can I just say tonight that I think God impressed upon me, again, that principle, Jeff, make sure that you have your times where you get away to the cave with me as well in life. It's so important. In fact, again, I know I'm jumping around a lot tonight, but these are good verses. Keep your finger in Judges 15 and go over to the Gospel of Mark, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. I want you to see this tonight. Jesus had sent out his disciples and they had ministered for a while in a pretty intense time. But I want you to notice a principle and something you should never feel bad about is after a time of ministry, taking some downtime and some time off. We try to encourage, especially those who are younger on our staff to do that and to just build that in. Because a lot of times people just keep running, running, running. And that's not good. Again, that's not taking care of my private life to the degree where my public life will eventually not cave in. So notice what Jesus said. Chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel, verse 30. 
Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. He said to them, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. So they went away by themselves in a boat to some remote place. As I like to remind myself, Jesus told his disciples and taught them by word and by example, come apart or you will come apart. And we need to be reminded of that as well. And maybe, just maybe, Samson going to this cave was a way for him to come apart from the fray of battle and from life and all that was going on and to maybe gain a little perspective from God as he went into that cave in the cliff of Edom. Well, if you go back then to Judges 15, picking it up in verse 9, in retaliation for Samson's vendetta, the Philistines threatened Lehi. The men of Judah complained. Why this attack? Why are you attacking us? Can I just say, there doesn't always need to be a reason or a good reason why we are being attacked. You've learned that in your life, and so have I. In fact, someone once said, I was failing a test with others that I didn't even know that I was taking. I like that. We've all been there. I was failing a test with other people, and I didn't even know I was taking a test. I didn't even know what the test was, but I was failing it. They have come to bind Samson to pay him back for what he did to them. Verse 10. So notice a small army of Judah's men go down to confront Samson at Edom. And they feel their whole question should answer the whole matter. Verse 11. Don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? Wow. Sad, sad words. Here is a people who have acquiesced to bondage. Who can no longer imagine anything beyond the status quo who see deliverance as a threat to peace, who look upon the enemies of God as their rightful lords. Israel is a people who can forsake God in an instant, but who would not even dream about being faithless to the Philistines. What a pitiful question. So Judah fumes at Samson. What does Samson think he's doing? You see, they see Samson as fighting against them rather than against the Philistines. Verse 11, again, what is this you have done to us? We've all been there. When we or others lost sight of who the real enemy was and started attacking others who were on the same team with us. It's what happens in the church many times. We forget the words of Paul in Ephesians 6.12 where he says... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And we start fighting each other who are on the same team. And Satan and his minions just sit back and laugh. They don't need to do anything. They just watch Christians bite and devour each other and consume each other. That's exactly what was happening here at this time. The Israelites were fighting one of their own, Samson, instead of fighting the real enemy, the Philistines. Folks, we've got to keep our perspective. And that again goes back to how important our productive and private life with God is. That and that alone will help us to keep our perspective. Some years ago, on the coast of Oregon, about 300 whales came in too close. And when the tide went out, the whales were stuck on the sand. 
Sadly, before they could get the whales moved, all of them died. It was a great mystery until the marine biologist discovered that the 300 whales had come to the beach and had met their death because they were chasing sardines. Do you know how big a sardine is? Do you know how big a whale is? But even a little sardine can bring a whale to its death if the whale keeps chasing it long enough. And God was saying to me in this passage, Jeff, be careful of chasing some sardines in your life right now. That's what was happening here with the Israelites. They lost sight of who the real enemy was and they were chasing some sardines that was going to get them beached. I'm not going to have you turn there. It's going to take too long and I got to get through this tonight. So I'm just going to quickly turn there. I want to take you to a passage where Jesus talks about this same principle to the religious leaders of Israel. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, woe to you experts in the law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain at gnats and swallow camels. You're like whales chasing sardines. Because you've lost your perspective, you don't even know who your real enemy is. And the things that you're majoring on in your life really, to God, are minor things. And the minor things now have become these really major issues that to God really aren't major at all. So we can see that this isn't the first time this has happened in human history. This problem is not a new one. That's why Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, I believe it's verses 9 and 10, that when he prayed for them, he said, I'm praying for these Christians in Philippi so that they will learn, God, by your wisdom to decide what is best so that you don't keep chasing sardines in your life. Because let's face it, sometimes as a Christian, The decisions in life are not what's, this is right and this is a clearly wrong decision. Those are easy. Sometimes in life we are faced with, they're both pretty good. Which one's best? Which one's better than the other? And so that's why Paul prayed for the Philippians that they would learn as they walk with God to learn to decide what is best so that they don't become like those whales chasing sardines that get beached. On the shore. Back to Judges 15. We continue the story. The men of Judah blurred out their mission. They have come to bind Samson and turn him over to the Philistines. Verse 12. Oddly enough, and I think this may be one of the reasons that come out of his cave experience. Samson offers no resistance. Which apparently they didn't expect or they wouldn't have sent so many men. Because the Bible tells us in verse 11 they sent three thousand men to arrest Samson. He only extracts from them an oath that they will not kill him themselves. Verse 12. Notice they willingly assent to this. We may be chicken Samson, but you can trust us. And notice the irony in their reply in verse 13. Oh no, Samson, we don't want to kill you. We're just going to bind you and give you to the Philistines so they can kill you. 
the people of God, who had formerly fought battle after battle to claim what was rightfully theirs, has become a collection of spineless wimps. They regard the Philistines as their rulers and Samson as their enemy. They don't even want to be God's free people. They don't even see that as a possibility. Again, sad, sad words. And most of us have been in places in our life like that. Where something had such a hold of our life. Or we were in such circumstances or situations where even with God, we had given up hope. We didn't see a way out. It was, this is just the way it was going to be. That's the place our enemy wants us to be. Remember, the book of Judges takes place during dark days. Even the darkest days of Israel. But God, even in those days, was the God who was telling his people, I can deliver you and I will deliver you. And God wants to get that message out to his people as well. Listen to these verses. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 78 verse 9 says, The Ephraimites, sort of the the marines, if you will, of the Israeli army at that time, were armed with bows, but they retreated in the day of battle. How sad. They had lost their fight. They had given up. They had thrown in the towel. It was just going to be status quo. This is just the way it's going to be. Even with God, nothing's going to change. Listen to the words of Proverbs 24.10. God says, if you and I faint in the day of adversity or trouble, our strength is small. That's why God doesn't want to shield us from things. He wants to build up our strength. Because God knows that life is going to bring days of trouble and days of adversity. And God, as we've seen throughout our study of the book of Judges, doesn't want to keep us from those days, but wants to give us strength so that we can get through those times of adversity and trouble in our lives. So that we, instead of being a people who always try to escape trouble and trial, because we're not ever going to be able to do that completely, is to build up our inner strength through the Lord Jesus Christ And build a private, productive life with God, nourishing ourselves and training ourselves, growing and maturing in the faith, so that whatever comes our way, we have the strength with God to get through it. The Israelites had lost sight of that at this time in their history. They would rather stay slaves to the Philistines. They had lost their fight. Can I just say tonight, folks, before we wrap this up, One of the things that I believe God wanted me to encourage you folks with tonight who who are here. And I don't necessarily know why God wants me to say this, but there must be some people in here who need to hear it. Don't give up the fight. Don't lose the fight. Keep fighting. Keep struggling. Know that God will give you the strength 
to keep putting one foot in front of the other. As you've heard me say, there was a time in my life where I was so low, so down, so out that I didn't even want to get out of bed. I didn't even want to put one foot on the floor. And I can't even tell you how I did put one foot on the floor at that time in my life. I can't even tell you how I got through each day. But somehow I was able to look back by the grace and mercy and strength of God and saw how God brought me through. And God can bring you through. Don't give up the fight. Keep fighting. Listen, friends, the maker of heaven and earth refused to walk away from the Garden of Eden, shrugging his shoulders and muttering, you'll win some and you'll lose some. No, he is the God who set all of creation on its ear to provide deliverance for those whom he created in his image. That's why the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why in the wake of Adam and Eve's faithlessness, God declared even then a deliverer would come. He has come. His name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. To conclude the story of Judges 15, the Philistines let out a shout of victory when they saw their helpless prey in verse 14. They could have saved their breath. They did not take into account the Spirit of God. Many never do. Notice that the Spirit rushed on Samson who snapped his ropes as if they were flax on fire, grabbed a nearby donkey's dentures, and began making piles of Philistines. That's why the prophet Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, says it's not by our strength. It's not by our power, but it's by the might of the Spirit of God. Don't discount the power of the Spirit of God. See, don't don't miss that. I mean, there's a visual. They they come to to arrest Samson and to, to take Samson. And notice verse 14, they shouted that word in the heat. They gave a victory shout as if it's done, it's over. But the Lord's Spirit empowered him. And the ropes around his arms were like flax dissolving in fire and they melted away from his hands. Folks, I don't know what's got its hold on you, but I know this. By my own personal experience, but even more importantly, by the promises of the Word of God, the Spirit of God can empower whatever's got a hold of you to release itself from you. Because the Spirit of God is stronger than whatever's got a hold of your life. It's keeping you from being all that God created you to be. And notice this as we wrap up chapter 14. After the battle, Samson is so weakened by thirst, verse 18, that he calls to God for help. Now this is significant because this is the first time we read that Samson explicitly sought God. Here is Samson, dependent on God. Here is the deliverer confessing that he needs delivered. Samson is anything but self-sufficient, which is exactly what God wants all of us to see. All of us who may think, I'm my own person and I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm strong and I can handle this on my own and I can deal with it on my own. Listen. Everybody learns the hard way. There's most of life that's way beyond our ability to deal with. 
But we can deal with anything with the Lord. And God's servants need to realize that our endurance, our perseverance does not come from our own adrenaline. It comes from God's refreshing grace. In fact, notice this beautiful story that ends chapter 15. He was very thirsty. Remember those streams of living water that Jesus talked about in John 4? So he cried out to the Lord and said, You've given your servant this great victory, but now must I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the Philistines? So God performed a miracle. He split open the basin at Lehi and water flowed out from it. And when he took a drink, his strength was restored and he revived. For this reason, he named the spring En Hakor. It remains in Lehi to this very day. Folks, some of you may have come to the mind tonight thirsty. Not physically, but spiritually thirsty. And God wanted to remind you tonight that if you just come to Him, He will give you drink that will restore and revive and refresh you. As Jesus says, the water that I will give you will be this perpetual spring that will just always be bubbling up inside of us. Always sustaining. Always refreshing. Always reviving us. That's the God that we serve. Folks, concentrate on your private life. Don't suffer from the sinkhole phenomenon where at some point in your life, your public life caves in because you didn't keep up the foundation of your private walk with God. And realize that whatever's got a hold of your life, God wants to remove through the power of His Spirit. Don't be like the Israelites who lost their fight. Keep fighting. Keep struggling. Know that God will be with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the stories of the Old Testament. That even though, Lord, these things happened thousands of years ago, they can inspire and encourage and instruct us even today. And God, I pray tonight for those who just need to hear one more time, don't give up the fight. That God, your spirit would once again come upon them and empower them, revive them and refresh them to to get back up and get going again. Maybe they've fallen, maybe they've been knocked down, but Lord, give them the strength to rise up again and may they see through the eyes of your spirit, that you are reaching down to them with your own hand, wanting to pull them back up and get them going again. And God, maybe it's not for them. Maybe tonight this has been about someone else in their life that they need to take this message to and encourage them with these words as well. God, do whatever you need to do in our lives and may Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, get all the glory for it. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here. See you next week.